0: Hello everybody and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading a new book today, In My Father's House, written by Corey Tinboom with permission of Light Trails Publishing and the Tinboom Foundation. In My Father's House. When my parents were married many years ago, they claimed Psalm 32.8 as their life verse. The promise which they felt was God's assurance for them. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way in which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. This promise became the special directive for my life as well. Cory Ten Boom. Remarkable, extraordinary. Peter, where did Cook find strawberries in the midst of winter? The Dutch merchant summons his butler and pointed to the luscious fruit in the silver compote. Even in the home of great wealth, this was an amazing luxury in the early 1800s. It's the gardener, sir, Tinboom. He does some miraculous things in that hothouse of his. Tinboom, you say. Hmm, must remember him. Astounding. Bring me some more, Peter, with lots of thick cream. My great grandfather, Tinboom, grew those plump strawberries during the chilly months when ruddy cheeked children skated over the canals. He was no ordinary gardener, but a master craftsman who caressed the soil into performing miracles. He experimented with plants, manipulating them between the ice cellar and the hothouse, until he produced the fruit which was served at the dinner table of his employer, one of the richest men in Hofstede, Bromstead, and Hemstead. These simple strawberries saved my great-grandfather from jail. It was during the time of Napoleon, Europe was trembling from the onslaught of the evil little man from Corsica. Swaggering across the continent, victorious in war, the French emperor conquered country after country and forced men into submission. The government of Holland was ruled by Napoleon's followers and their oppressive regime. My great-grandfather was an independent man. He had spunk, but not much tact, I'm afraid. He refused to submit to men who denied freedom to other men. However, Hollanders at that time had two alternatives. They were either obedient to those who served the stuttering dictator, or they faced what could be a very severe punishment. Tyranny at any time in man's history demands loyalty. One Sunday, my great-grandfather went to his church and heard the minister announce the opening hymn. The theme was from Psalm 21, but as the congregation began to understand the words, one voice after another stopped. They realized it was a pointed description of their political situation, and nobody dared to continue. But great-grandfather and the minister sang louder, a defiant duet. The evil one considers himself to be free from all bondage and runs around while he stirs the people. At the same time, the bad people assume they hold the reins of government, and they are being raised to the summons of honor. "'Sad hearts and silent voices were encouraged "'by the bravery of the minister and the spunky gardener. "'When news of Tinburn's treacherous act of defiance "'reached the authorities, "'he received a summons to appear at the town hall. "'He must have been prepared for the consequences "'as he addressed the officer in charge. "'What does Mr. Snootnose want with me?' First, he challenged the regime, "'and then he hurled a contemptuous name at his accuser. "'But where do strawberries fit into all this?' Before great-grandfather had a chance to be sentenced or taken to prison, his boss, who was a very influential citizen, interceded and had him pardoned. A gardener couldn't grow fruit in jail, could he? My father told me this story of great-grandfather and his personal challenge to the Napoleonic regime with a sense of joy. I am glad he was a real man, father said. Over a hundred years later, when people said to Father, Stop having Jews in your home. You will be sent to prison. My father answered, I am too old for prison life, but if that should happen, then it would be for me an honor to give my life for God's ancient people, the Jews. From generation to generation, William Tenboom, my grandfather, was not very strong like his father, so he chose a work which was not physically difficult. In the year 1837, Grandfather purchased a little house in Harlem for 400 guilders and set up shop as a watchmaker. It was in 1844 that Grandfather had a visit from the minister, Dominique Wittven, who had a special request. William, you know the scriptures tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and the blessing of the Jews. Ah, yes, Donham. I have always loved God's ancient people. They gave us our Bible and our Savior. Beginning with this conversation, a prayer fellowship was started, with grandfather and his friends praying for the Jewish people. This was an unusual idea among Christians at that time. The Jews were scattered throughout the world, without a country or a national identity. Jerusalem was a city torn by centuries of conflict. The attention of the world was not upon the Middle East, and yet a small group of Dutch believers met in a little Harlem house, a watchmaker's shop, later called the baye to read the scriptures, and to pray for the Jews. In a divine way which is beyond our human understanding, God answered those prayers. It was in a small house exactly 100 years later that grandfather's son, my father, and four of his grandchildren, and one great-grandson were arrested for helping save the lives of Jews during the German occupation of Holland. Another stuttering dictator, more arrogant and insane than Napoleon, had planned to exterminate every Jew in the world. When Holland was controlled by Hitler's troops, many Jews were killed. For helping and hiding the Jews, my father, my brother's son, and my sister all died in prison. My brother survived his imprisonment, but died soon afterwards. Only Noli, my older sister, and I came out alive. So many times we wonder why God allows certain things to happen to us. We try to understand the circumstances of our lives. And we are left wondering. But God's foolishness is so much wiser than our wisdom. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. 1 Corinthians 1.25 From generation to generation, from small beginnings and little lessons, He has purpose for those who know and trust Him. God has no problems, just plans. Blessed is a man that makes the Lord his trust and respects not the proud nor such as turn aside to lies. Psalm 40, verse 4. Beginning with Mama. My mother was a woman with a loving sense of humor and a striking appearance. She had thick, dark, curly hair and brilliant blue eyes, an unusual combination for a hollander. She came from a large family and was left fatherless just after her mother gave birth to an eighth baby. While she was still very young, her mother and her brothers and sisters were forced to earn their own living. One of my sisters, Jans, started a kindergarten where Cornelia Kor, my mother, and another sister, Anna, became her assistants. I'm sure this experience helped my mother later in training her own children. When Jans added a Sunday school for her kindergarten, she began to work with a young theological student, Hendrik Wildenborg, who became her special boyfriend. Kor caught the eye of a handsome teacher in the Sunday school by the name of Casper Tinboom and they immediately found something in common. Their birthdays were on the same day, May 18th. Romance grew between Cora and Casper, and when Cora journeyed to the Hardwick to visit her grandmother, Casper was so lonely that he followed her the next day. About 50 years later, I visited the quaint village of Hardwick on the Zooter with my father. As we walked along the Bregastrack, father said, This is where I propose to your mother. There were cobblestones instead of pavements at that time, but many of the old houses in the Seagate are still the same. He paused to remember the youth, which had vanished, and his love for the gentle woman with the laughing eyes. Did Mother say yes immediately, I asked? No, not until the next day, and I spent a very restless night waiting for that decision. When I asked him if he had ever regretted his decision to marry Mama, his voice was firm. Never! Until the last day of her life, I was just as much in love with her mother as I was on the day in Hartlewick. We didn't have an easy life. We had many sorrows, but God led us by his extraordinary providence. A Little Jewelry Store Grandmother died shortly before Casper and Cora were married. By then, Father had started a jewelry store in a small town in the heart of the Jewish section of Amsterdam. Once a customer arrived who was a pastor from Ladysmith, South Africa. He came into the shop and asked Father to provide a clock and a bell for his church tower. This was a tremendous encouragement to a young merchant. The order was simple to fill. All Father had to do was to go to the factory in Brabant to make the selection. The manufacturer did all the installation. However, the commission from that sale provided enough money for the young couple to be married. Uncle Hendrik, Jan's husband, was a minister in a little village near Amsterdam. Mother and father had to go to the town hall first to be registered and married in a civil ceremony. The man at the town hall who married them thought they were a high people, because they came from Amsterdam. He tried to be very dignified in a manner suitable for this distinguished couple, and began the marriage speech with great airs. Honored bride and bridegroom, you are now gathered here. He stopped and looked around and burst into tears. Father said, I'm so touched by your speech and tears, but we would like to be married. The poor fellow finished the ceremony somehow, but Uncle Hendrik conducted the final marriage rites in his church without tears. The newlyweds moved into a shabby little house in Amsterdam after their wedding. It was probably just as well that the emotional clerk from the town hall didn't know of their humble means. Mother had dreamed of a home with a small garden, for she loved flowers and the beauty of color. I love to see much of the sky, she often said. The sky was there, if she stretched far enough to see it, in the narrow street outside the old house. Their cramped home had a single room on each story, with worn-out furniture left by my grandmother. Money was scarce, but happiness was abundant. The neighborhood of Jewish people made it possible for fathers to participate in their Sabbaths and other holy days. He studied the Old Testament, their Talmud, with them and was given opportunities to understand and explain the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament and the New Testament. My father's love for the Jewish people were nurtured in the Jewish quarters of Amsterdam during those first years of married life. Father and mother lived on poverty's edge and yet their contentment was not dependent upon their surroundings. Their relationship with each other and with the Lord gave them strength. Plan for Parenthood When the first baby was expected, Mother was glad she had learned to sew. She had inherited an old sewing machine from her mother, and every moment she could find, she stitched little garments for the baby. A Jewish who lived upstairs couldn't contain her curiosity and asked Mother if she was a seamstress. No, Mother answered proudly, but I'm expecting my first baby. See the little dress I've made? She held up a dainty little garment tenderly. The Jewish was astonished. You're not sewing the clothes before the baby arrives. That's tempting God. Mother was puzzled, but this didn't stop her from preparing for her baby. However, she began to understand why Mary had only swaddling clothes for the baby Jesus. It wasn't lack of money, but the Jewish custom not to sew the layup before the birth of the child. I've heard that Portuguese Jews maintain this tradition today. When Betsy, the first child, was born, Mother became quite ill. She asked her younger sister, Anna, to come for a few weeks to help with the new baby. Those few weeks stretched into 40 years. Mother and Anna had always been close, but when Mother married, Anna went to live with Jans and Uncle Hendrik. Anna, however, became very lonely for Cora and was delighted when Father and Mother invited her to stay with them in Amsterdam. Within seven years, four more babies were born, but one didn't live. Father had to look for a cheaper house to accommodate his growing responsibilities. By the time I was born, they were living in Coot prince in a house at the very end of the canal where a few people passed the shop. Business was at its lowest ebb. I was a premature baby with blue skin and pinched features. When Uncle Hendrick saw me, he shook his head sadly. I hope the Lord will quickly take this poor little creature to his home in heaven, he said. Fortunately, my parents didn't feel the same as Uncle Hendrick. They surrounded me with love and good care. There were no incubators in those days, and one of the greatest problems was keeping me warm. I cried so pitifully from the cold that Tanti, Aunt, Annie, rolled me in her apron and tied me against her body. Then I became warm and quiet. 1895, Corey and Betsy. Many years later, while I was in Africa, I met a missionary family whose baby could not be comforted until a native girl bound the child to her back with a piece of cloth. The baby became calm, secure in the closeness to the body of a person who loved them. I must have felt that same way bound snugly in Tanta Anna's apron. Throughout the first year of my life, I was a poor, sickly looking creature. Mother told me once she was traveling by train with a friend who held a beautiful, plump baby on her lap. The baby's name was Rika, and the people in the coach were giving her many admiring glances and comments. They would look at me in my mother's arms and then turn away, unable to find anything positive to say. Mother told me this bothered her at first, but then she would hug me and whisper, I wouldn't exchange you for anyone in the whole world, you darling, ugly baby with the beautiful eyes. When Rika was two years old, she began having epileptic seizures. And I played with her all through my childhood, but I remember how aware I was that her little face would change so drastically as the sickness would overpower her. Mother was always ready to care for Rika throughout her life. Mother taught us to be helpful and loving towards those who are weak or abnormal. Harlem Inheritance Grandfather William died when I was six months old, leaving father his shop in Harlem. We moved into the house which wasn't very large, and poor mother still didn't have her garden. She put some flower pots on the flat roof and called this her garden. She had geraniums in clay pots, hanging fuchsia, and some ivy climbing the brick walls. She developed a roof garden long before the modern penthouse dwellers thought of such a thing. Even in the new house in Harlem, she could only see a small piece of the sky she loved. The roof became her outdoors when she became too weak to take her daily walks in the street. During those first years of their marriage, the financial situation must have been very serious. Anna worked night and day to nurse mother when she was ill and to care for the four children. She earned the grand sum total of one guilder, about 30 cents a week. Father gave her this magnificent salary every Saturday. But often by the following Wednesday, the finances would become so desperate that father would have to go to the kitchen and ask, Anna, do you still have your guilder? Anna always had the guilder available and it often brought food for the family on that day. This was certainly blessed money. This was the beginning of my rich inheritance. When I remember my family life, I realized that my parents and my aunts had truly mastered the art of living. They enjoyed life, and they loved children. We never laughed so much as when you children were small, Tante Annie often said. In our hearts, we must have stored some of the memory of the laughter to be brought out in later years. When the sounds of happy voices were scarce in our beloved land. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Proverbs 13.22 And next time we'll do chapter 2, 5 is not too young. I love you, I'm praying for you, and bye-bye for now.